It is a blessing and a privilege to, to preach from God's Word this morning to you. We're not going to be in Genesis this morning. We, uh, we're going to let Pastor James finish out. We have one more teaching to go. And uh, so I wanted to share with you guys from Romans chapter 12. So if you would turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. It's going to be a two-part message. Um, we'll, Lord willing, work through two verses this morning and then the rest of it next week um, as the Lord wills. Um, I was ready to do it all this week, and I said, there's no way that I can be faithful. There's so much in it. And so um, James was gracious to uh, adjust the preaching schedule, so I'm able to preach again next week. So hopefully that won't be a hindrance or a burden to you guys. But let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 together. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It reads this way. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God. This is our passage for today. So as I, as I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you, just really trying to, um, to ask the Lord, what is it that each one of us, if we are believers in Christ Jesus, if we have trusted in Christ and his finished work on the cross, what it is that I would want to share with you guys, what I would want to encourage you in today. And so I pray today's message is truly that, that it's, that it's a, a biblical exhortation of encouragement, um, that you find joy in it, that you find hope in God's word this morning. Um, but always, there's always conviction that produces that within our lives. And so as we consider God's word and as we dig a little deeper into what this passage um, means with reference to other passages in God's word, I pray that you do find hope in Christ this morning. How many of you guys need to be encouraged this morning? Amen. We all do. So the question that I have for us is what should it look like to live our lives as Christians. Now, what does it look like? Because we know that we often fall short in living our life as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Unfortunately, that's something we say amen to. But it's the reality that we regularly fall short of living a life that is pleasing to God, fully pleasing to God. And so what does God have for us in his word to encourage us, not to complacency, but that convicts us and that changes us to the person that he truly desires us to be as believers in Jesus Christ. So what should stand out as different in our life from the rest of the world? Our life should look different, right? We are made new. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. That means that who we once were no longer is who we are today. So how do we grow to being faithful to God as those who have been bought with the price of Jesus shed blood. That was a big payment for each and every single one of us. And it was a payment that was of incredible worth and of incredible value, a value that we could never come up with to cover the expense. And so we're going to look backwards into Romans chapter 11, a few verses leading into this chapter. Now, this is not what the therefore in verse 1 of chapter 12 is about. Often we say, therefore, is 
there for a reason, and we need to figure out what it's referring back to. But it's not only specifically referring to these leading verses in chapter 11. It's referring back to the complete truths that are um, brought forward to us through all of Romans leading up to this. So if you would look back with me to Romans chapter 11, verse 33 and 34, it's helpful for us to really think and consider what being a disciple of Jesus Christ is, is, is really having a right love of God. Romans 11, verses 34, 33 and 34 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? So what does that mean for us that we would have a right love of God in view of who he is? Just look at how these verses describe our Lord, the depth and the riches of wisdom and the knowledge of God. Do we presume that we know better than God? Our actions sometimes say that we do. Having a right love of God means not, not questioning him or even his ways, nor his plans for our very life. Verse 35 of Romans 11 says, Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Such an important reminder as we start looking at Romans chapter 12 and especially for next week's message. A God-honoring love of others is what God has asked of us. Not only our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, but everyone here on this earth. We're to have right motives in our love. It's not to try and pay back God, just as verse 35 says, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. We can never pay back God for the gift that he has given us in Christ Jesus our Lord. So with right motives, we're to love others as we are instructed to by God. You might say commanded to by God because that's the reality of that instruction. It's not an optional one. We're not to try and repay God for the gift of salvation that we have in Christ Jesus, and we're not to try and repay God for all that we have in Christ Jesus. So our passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'm going to read it once again for us. In view of trying to understand what it means to have a right love of God and a, and a proper love for others. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a term in verse 1 that says living sacrifice. And I, I want us to really understand what God's word is saying about this. Now we have an idea of what a sacrifice and we know what is, but we also know what it means to be living. But putting those two together, we need to try and figure out what God's word is telling us. A living sacrifice is having a right offering to God of one's very self. Now what do we offer of ourselves to the Lord? means we're to have a very life of surrender, which means that we are completely willing and available to God. That's what a life of surrender is. We can't surrender just part of ourselves to the Lord and think that we are really surrendering all of us to God. It means that we're to sacrifice, 
we're to be a sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. Well, how can we even do that? We'll see some scripture that describes that for us. It means that we also need to have proper preparation of our very self as holy temples of God that truly have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. You'll see point number one, that we are to be living out the exchange life. Now you might say, well, what is this exchange life? What are you referring to? We might call it the great exchange, which is Christ's life for ours. We might call it a complete injustice that God would give his life for us, which it is. That's why grace is involved. The great exchange is Christ's life for ours, that he was the one who died on the cross in our place, that, he, that we have life in Christ, that we are to live out as if, live out our life truly, our life truly has been put to death. We're to live through faith in Jesus that he will use our very life to continue his purposes, which means his will, that same thing we pray in the Lord's Prayer. So what, is, what are the practical steps to actually live out this exchange life, this great exchange that happens that Christ now wants to live his life through us? Some practical steps given in the scripture referenced on your outline. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and we're to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You can underline the word no, you can highlight it. But most importantly, it's Jesus that we're to put on. Right? No provisions for the flesh to gratify, gratify its desires. Paul tells the Corinthian church, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our bodies are the very temple of God himself. And when we see in the scriptures Jesus going into the temples, what do, what do we often see? Or what did we see two times? He went in and cleansed the temples. What did he cleanse the temple of? Of the sin, of the unrighteousness, of even wrong preparations for sacrifices, of lying, of cheating, of not being loving and careful of others. Paul in his letter to the Galatians lays it out for us in one simple verse, yet profound and rich and deep. He says that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we just heard that our bodies were temples of the living God, that the Spirit actually dwells and lives within us. And now Paul is saying Christ lives in us. And the life that we are now to live, how do we live it? Do we try harder? Do we pursue the efforts that we made before we were believers trying to be a good and moral person, hoping that our good will outweigh the bad? No, we live by faith in the Son of God. Romans chapter 6 is a great descriptor of this reality for our very lives says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So are we walking in newness of life today? Is that what our lives look like, that we look completely different today, that we have a new life in Christ, that when people look at us, they don't see who we were before Christ? Paul continues in Romans 6. He says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but rather present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So this walking in the newness of life means that we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're called to present ourselves to God. It sounds like that living sacrifice that we read in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That our members, our physical members, our actual body parts, would be available to God to be used as instruments for righteousness. How do we use our physical body to glorify God? Secondly, we are to bear fruit that is actually worthy of the vine. If you would turn over to John chapter 15 with me, verses 4 and 5. There's a few verses that I want us to reference and to read and to see coming off the pages, speaking life to us as believers in Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, we'll read together. reads this way. This is Jesus speaking to us, his disciples. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I, Jesus, am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So for those of us who profess to be Christians, who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, what fruit do we see in our lives? Do we see fruit of Jesus living in our lives? And how do we know what that even is? We have the gift of the scriptures to see how Jesus lived. How did he live? He lived completely, fully obedient to God's commands for him. Even when, as we, as brothers and sisters here on this earth today, don't understand God's plans and his um, his ways, even as we read in Romans chapter 11 leading into this, part, this passage, we're reminded that his ways are so much better than ours, and we can't even possibly fathom them. We are not the omniscient ones. So we are to abide in Christ and him in us, and then we'll see the fruit of him rather than us. There's further encouragement in John 15 if you look down to verse 8. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So how do we get to praise and, and glorify the Father? By bearing much fruit. And we do that by being rooted in the vine, Jesus, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Are we disciples of Jesus Christ? What is the fruit that is in our life? Does it prove that give evidence that we are truly disciples of Jesus Christ? He goes on to say, abide in my love. 
Okay, what does that mean? How do we do this? We have some direction. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is the encouragement for us today, even just from these verses? We want to be encouraged. We want the joy of the Lord in us. Abide in Christ's love. Keep his commandments. Just as he did. Well, how do we do this? How do we live out this exchange life? How do we bear fruit that is worthy of the vine? Point number three, Christ crucified the message and the means. And let me describe what I'm, what I'm saying here. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says this, that always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So we want to see God, Jesus, manifested in our bodies. That means that he actually is producing evidence within us, that he is an out, there's an outworking of Christ within us. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. We get to carry in the body the death of Jesus. And that's a great reminder for us that he was crucified for us. We're told to preach the gospel not only to everyone each and every day, but most importantly to ourselves, that we would have a right heart before the Lord, that we would have a heart that is praising him and desires to glorify him in all that we do, in all that we say, in our thought life, in the motives of all that we do and say. Paul continues to give exhortation and encouragement to the Corinthian church. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. What controls you? What controls me today? The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, this reality, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who, for this, their sake, died and was raised. So the Lord Jesus crucified the hope of glory, our hope for today as well is not only the message, but it is also the means. It's the means for living a, a fruitful life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's the means for um, the fruit that comes out of us as we are the branches and he is the vine. So that leads us to part one. I know that was a long introduction, but it's important for us to really have some understanding of what it means to be a living sacrifice. Part one in your outline, submit to the Lord of Christ in all areas of your life. That word submit, is that a heavy word for us today? We'll see what the scriptures have to describe that for us, what it looks like in practice. The practicality of living a Christian life is not easy, right? Is it impossible? It's impossible for us. But living the Christian life is what Christ did. It's who he is. I'm going to read Romans 12, 1 and 2 again once for us as we start and refresh our minds with, with maybe a greater and deeper understanding of what it means to be a living sacrifice, that it's one who is living out this exchange life, that we bear fruit worthy of the vine, and that we recognize that Christ crucified is not only the message, but he's also the means. 
So Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, and maybe this will help you memorize it even as we read it again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what is Paul encouraging us to do in these simple passages, these these short verses? We see a complete surrender to God. That's the submission. And I say complete because he references that we need to present our bodies, so that's the physical element of it. And then he tells us that our minds actually need to be transformed. So we surrender to God both physically and mentally. And as I was thinking about that, I'm like, why does this sound so familiar? Why does this message seem to just ring a bell in my head? It's because Jesus has told us himself that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's in your outline if you want to read it again. Jesus highlights not only your mind and your strength, but he also references your heart and your soul. This maybe helps give us greater clarity because it includes heart and soul. The heart passionately um, brings about actions. And we know that we've been given a new heart, as Ezekiel has encouraged us in. That new heart then brings out new desires for us as disciples of Jesus Christ, if we're truly saved. We look at the soul, where that sincerity of work comes from, where a right understanding and a response to the gospel is rooted in. It's from a God-glorifying motive that we get to live out a life surrendered, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So section A, I want to start with the mind because I think it's helpful for us to, to start with this aspect of these verses. Being informed from God's word gives us a clear understanding It allows the Spirit to give us a biblical conviction and the information to be able to present our bodies as these living sacrifices. So point number A, renew your mind with the purposes of being transformed into Christ-likeness. So as Christians and as believers in Jesus, we're not only to be shaped by the world, we're not to be shaped by the world, and we're not to be conformed to the world. We're not to hold to secular worldviews. What do I mean by that? I mean, as disciples in Jesus Christ, we're not, our, our values and our views of the world should be completely different. We've got a new perspective. We have a biblical perspective. So therefore, we call it a Christian worldview. And I pray that that's what God is growing you in understanding. When you see all that is transpiring in the world, that we have hope because we know how the story begins at the very ending. Our story, our eternal hope that we have, but there's a tragic ending for many who have yet to surrender their life to Christ as we read through Revelation. So we're to be transformed, we're to be reshaped to the very image of Christ who lives in us. It's his fruit pouring out of us. And this starts by recognizing what is true of God of us, 
of our new purpose that God has given us as believers in Christ Jesus. And it also helps us to recognize what is honoring to God. And as we look around the world today, it doesn't take us very long to consider and to see what is dishonoring to the Lord. But it's easy to look outside of our own houses, to look outside um, maybe even of our own town and see all kinds of things that are dishonoring to the Lord. But the Lord knows the heart, and that's where we need to start. So we're to test everything with our scripture-infused and renewed mind by the work of the Spirit as our teacher and our helper. What a great gift that God has given us, the Holy Spirit, who not only teaches us, but he actually helps us. Anybody need the Holy Spirit? We all do. Amen. So when we spend time in God's Word, what should this look like? How should it start out? God gives us a promise in James 1.5 that if we ask for wisdom from him, what does he do? How does he, how does he respond if we ask for wisdom? He gives it to us generously. Who is the most generous being in the world? God is. His generosity is what grace is. Completely unmerited favor that we receive from God, rooted in his love for us. So we ask God for wisdom. We seek godly wisdom out, which means not only can God impart wisdom to us, but when we seek wisdom out in other, in other ways, specifically other believers, God will give it to us. We're to use the scriptures as the pass-fail test to, have, to know what is pleasing to the Lord, to know what is honoring to him, to help us know if we're even thinking biblically or if maybe our emotions or feelings have taken over a right contemplation, a right thinking, a right consideration of what we're maybe looking to decide or what we're looking to do or maybe even our next words. We're to ask others for confirmation or biblical correction, right? If they don't confirm that what we are believing to be true is of the Lord, then pray that they give us biblical correction. We don't need to know their opinions and their views if they're not rooted in the truth of God's word. That's a warning to us, right? When people ask us for advice, we should be able to turn to God's word. There's a heavy weight in that simple statement. It means we need to know God's word. We need to understand its application in our lives and other people's lives. That's how we get to encourage each other in the Lord as the day is long. So we get to ask the question when we test everything. Is it good? Jesus said, when someone called him good teacher, he said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Is it acceptable? Is it perfect? Is it pleasing to the Lord? God's will is perfectly good. It's acceptable for the situation and it's perfect in all ways. Question for us is, what do the scriptures say about God? God's. What do the scriptures say about God's word? There's so much that, that we could turn to and read. We could read all of Psalm 119, but then you would be here late into the afternoon as we stop and work through it. But I want to share a few truths from Psalm 119 for us. God's word is unchanging, and we have hope in that. The psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. 
It's not wavering. It's not subjective. It's unchanging. It's firmly fixed. What we know today of God's word is what will be true tomorrow of God's word. We are to seek out God's word. Psalmist says, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. Are we seeking God's word, his wisdom, his ways? We're to love and meditate on God's word. Now, we're not to idolize God's word. We're not supposed to, um, to elevate God's word above himself. It's his word to us. It's such a perfect gift, and it reveals who he is. And we should love being in God's word. And we should love and appreciate the Bible that God has given to us. The psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Do we love the law, the commandment portions of God's word, his instruction for us? We should find great joy in that, right? We should find joy that God is giving us some practical to-dos in his word, which we're going to look at next week, that we are to do as believers in Christ Jesus. And not only that, we are to meditate on it. What does it mean to meditate on the law of the Lord? It means that as we're thinking on it, as we're chewing on it, as we're considering it, we're looking into the world and saying, okay, how can I live this commandment out to be faithful to God, to glorify him, to bless others, to build God's kingdom, to encourage and equip the saints? We're to desire the word of God. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What do we learn from those verses about God's word? It's supposed to be sweet to our taste. The truth is that we get understanding from God's word. And it's there for a purpose. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The Lord doesn't want us to stumble through life. He wants to lead the way. And his scripture, his word, is that for each and every one of us. When we say, thy will be done in our life today, how do we know what God's will is for us? Go to his word. How do I, what do I need to do to be faithful to where God has me today, to the roles that he's given me? Maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a father, maybe it's an employee. Maybe it's a retiree. What is God's will for your life today? What a gift the Lord has given us through his word. So having renewed our very mind, because we started kind of the second aspect there, having renewed our mind, we are informed and we're better equipped to know what our life should actually reflect, what it should look like. We can differentiate between what is of God and what is of us, because that's the real problem, right? I'm the problem, you guys are the problem in your life. When we think that we are Lord of our own life, when we don't submit fully to the Lordship of Christ in every single area of our very life. So our life is to be a living sacrifice. And what do we know of sacrifices? Sacrifices die for the sake of holiness. Right? Sacrifices die for the sake of holiness. Number B, or point B in your outline, put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. 
What does it mean to be this living sacrifice, you and me today? Not only are we to renew our minds, we're to put to death what is earthly in us. We're to love God's commands. The psalmist again says in Psalm 119, 92, he says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So what happens when we don't delight in the Lord's law? The psalmist speaks of death in our affliction, in our sinfulness. Well, we have hope. We, have, we recognize that there's a battle that's going on. We're to fight evil. Scriptures say, I hold back my feet from every evil way. Not some, but every evil way. In order to keep your word, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. So we love God's commands and we fight evil, having been enlightened by what his commands actually are. Next, we're to put to death the worldly within us. And if you would turn to Colossians chapter 3, I want to read verses 5 through 10 for us. Colossians 3, 5 through 10. putting to death what is earthly in us, which means the world within us. What the world, what Satan desires to see. Colossians 3 verse 5 starts this way. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And we start to read the list. The question as I read this list is, what does living in these sinful ways look like in my life, in your life? Sometimes we, we read the list and we say, well, oh, I know that. I'm not doing that. But what could it look like in your life, in my life? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. When you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and, having, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What does it mean to put to death these things? And what do these sins possibly look like in your life and my life today? Those were our old practices. First John chapter 3 gives us a warning about when we look at our life, if we see practices of sin in our life, be concerned. Be gravely concerned. Because that's not the fruit of the vine living in you. What are your practices? What are you holding on to? What has your heart possibly grown callous to God's conviction and completely ignored his instruction from his word? Lastly, under this put to death, we are to put off who you were. Put off who you, who you were. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't believe the lies of the world with trying to infuse all kinds of different identities on you. Ephesians 4.22 says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's not who you were. Put it off. Don't identify yourself as that. 
so much confusion in the world, and it doesn't need to start internally with us. So now that our minds have been renewed by the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're putting to death all that is earthly within us, we are actually ready for God's purposes. We are now a living sacrifice that we can present to the Lord, having sought out and seeked in God's scriptures, and even from counsel from brothers and sisters, what is offensive to the Lord in our life, conviction of sin. And having dealt rightly with it at the cross of Jesus, where his blood was shed. So we're in the hands of the potter, the ultimate potter, the one who wants to fashion us for his use and according to his plans, right? Not that we would be conformed to the world, but we would be conformed and shaped into Christ's image in our life today. Remember that sacrifices die for the sake of holiness. So what does holiness look like? Or what should it look like in our life today? Point C in your outline. Be both available for and obedient to the will of God. It's one thing to be available to God and say, God, here I am, send me, but not actually go. Right? When we say to God, Lord, use me today. May your will be done in my life. And then you just go ahead and do whatever pleases you. So we search the scriptures. We ask the Lord to convict us, to lead us. We thank the Lord for his commands, for his instruction in the world. We try to consider our life and and have the right perspective, have that eternal perspective in our life so that we could walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, so that we would think of things rightly, having a biblical worldview, a Christian worldview, rather than a secular worldview. So then what do we do? What does it look like in our life to practically live out living a life that is presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Remember that sacrifices die for the sake of holiness. So the encouragement from us, from God's word, and just some of it, is we are desire to, to desire God's will in place of our own. Like the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means that his name is holy. That means that he is perfect, that he's just, that there is no errant ways, even as Romans 11 led our, our time this morning. We can't fathom his ways. We can't understand them. We should never guess them. So we seek it out. We pray for it. We say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Today, here in this place, in your very life today, may God's will be done. So that should be our desire, that God's will be done in our own life. Secondly, God's will is your personal holiness. God's will for your life is for your personal holiness. Well, what does holiness in my life, in your life look like? It means God's will in your life. It means living a life that is fully pleasing to him means that sin has been abolished in your life and you don't give it victory, that you don't pursue it, that you don't walk in it, that you seek out what it means to live a life of surrender to Christ, not only available, but completely obedient. And God gave you a spirit so that you could do that. Let me encourage you from 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. You don't have to turn there. Just let me read it. Kind of let the word wash over you. 
It says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, right? Increasingly. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Sounds like that living sacrifice that we are to present to God. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God and gives his Holy Spirit, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. It's God that we disregard when we choose our own way, when we choose our own will, when the body that we present to God is not presented holy and pure, when it's not fully submitting to God, when it's holding something back, saying, God, you can have everything, but I'm going to hang on to this. That's idolatry. And the one we're worshiping is ourself, not Jesus. The one who gets the glory in that is us. We might enjoy it today, but there's no earthly reward in it. And it certainly dishonors the Lord and grieves him greatly. So we're to desire, to, to desire God's will in place of our own. God's very will for us is our own personal holiness. And lastly, we're to put on who you now are. That passage in Ephesians chapter 4, you may have noticed we're, we're hitting on a third verse here. It says, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. What are you clothed in today? Are you clothed in Christ's righteousness? Are there blemishes on you today that you need to confess before the Lord. That you can ask the Lord to create in you a, a new heart, a clean heart. That he would cleanse you of all unrighteousness, which is only through Jesus. So today I want to remind you and encourage you that sacrifices die for the sake of holiness. And that's what God is asking of us. That we would present ourselves as a living sacrifice, that we would renew our minds in Christ Jesus through the truth, the inerrant scriptures, the beautiful passages that we have throughout all of scriptures. I have some questions for us to think on. And you'll notice there's some lines there. Don't throw out your handout on the way out. Don't just stuff it in your Bible and find it there next week. I encourage you to consider the scriptures and to consider God's desire for you. Spend some time in prayer, quiet, at the feet of the Lord. And, and rightly answer these questions. Write down your answers and deal rightly with what needs to be dealt with in your life. Burn it, shred it, do whatever you need to do afterwards and walk in the newness of life that Christ has given you. Put on the clothes that God has given us in Christ Jesus. The questions are this, in what new ways will you present yourself as a living sacrifice to God this week? 
I say new ways because, yes, each one of us, if we're believers, we can look back by God's grace and see that we are set apart, that we are seeing some ways that we are surrendering our life to the Lord. But we know that God's will is for us to do that increasingly. So let's look for new ways this week to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, fully available and obedient to the Lord. Second question for us to think about this week is, how can you be more intentional to renew your mind so that you are transformed increasingly into the likeness of Christ? What ways can you spend this week to renew your mind, to refresh your soul, to allow the scriptures to be the light to your path? Maybe it's spending a little bit of extra time in your reading plan to not only read through it and, and to consider its, its truths and realities, but to see how, what it means for you in your life today, how it needs to be applied, how you need to recognize it as a reality in your life. Not what it means to you, which is subjective, but what it actually means, what the scripture says, and how it can be applied to your life. So today... We are called as believers in Jesus Christ to present ourselves as a right offering to God of our very self. The creator gets to do with his creation what he desires. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the realities of who you are. For the great encouragement that as we consider the scriptures, we see your redemptive plan from the opening verse in Genesis to the closing of Revelation. Lord, in it we see the tragedy and the depravity of man and its sinfulness, its, way, its waywardness to your will. And in it we see our own idolatry, our own struggles with lordship in areas of our life that we are yet to surrender to you. God, you're so gracious that when so often when we give things up to you, when we recognize that it's a good gift from you or it's something we need to, that's sin that we need to deal rightly with. In your kindness, in your grace, so often you give it back to us and trust it to us to be faithful with it rather than to hoard it. Father, prepare our hearts for this next week as we consider the rest of the chapter and the many commands and the exhortations, the encouragements. Lord, that you would be doing a work in us, that you would convict us with a conviction that produces a response. Lord, for salvation where it's needed, for those who yet need to respond to the gospel call of Jesus, that is the good news that Jesus died in our place for our sinfulness against you, for the ways that we, Lord, stiff-armed you, for the ways that we chose our own ways. We call that sin. Jesus paid that price in full. And today, if we confess our sins and trust in Jesus for his work on the cross, Lord, if we live a life that abides in Christ, knowing that he abides in us, that we, being your temple, can be used for your glory, for extending your kingdom, for your purposes, we see Christ's ministry multiplied through every single believer here on earth. And so, Lord, as we sang, let your kingdom come, Lord, we also ask that you would tarry. Lord, our own comfort wants you to come today. We want you to come right now. But Lord, there's so many who need to respond to you. So we lift them up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.